Well, good morning, Connection Point Church. Good morning to those online. And good morning to you guys here at the Inspiration Clubhouse. Man, so glad to have you all here. You know, this is exciting because this is our last time that we're going to be meeting here at Inspiration Clubhouse because, I don't know if you know this or not, but next week, for the first time in 15 months, we're going to be back at Cooper Junior High, where we were before the pandemic. So they asked me to preach and kind of like just close out because they were like, we need our best preacher to get up there and make sure he just knocks it out of the park. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, No, I get to come up here and preach this week because we've been doing a series called Open Mic where several of us, Asha Green, Joey Williams, have preached already and we get to come and bring a message to you guys and I'm excited to do that today. So two weeks from tomorrow, so in two Mondays, Myself, Joey Williams, our worship pastor, my wife, Courtney Collins, and Joey's wife, Megan Williams, will be going to Rosebud, Texas, to Forest Glen Springs to do Warrior Week and Girls Getaway. It's two, gender, two different gender camps. We've got our girls at Girls Getaway and our boys at Warrior Week, and we do them totally separate. And the way that we do it with the boys is that we want to make them warriors for Christ. And so we tell them we're going to teach them God's battle plan for life. And so we spend the whole week going over a certain theme and teaching them about that. And so this year, our theme is called Field of Faith. And what we're going to be teaching these boys is what faith is and what faith is not. And we set that basis, what faith is not, and it's not a leap in the dark. It's not something that you just magically think of and you're like, yeah, I'm going to put my faith in that thing. No, we have to put our faith in something. And that something has to be something that can't fail us. It has to be an object that we know will be there for us at any point. And so we tell these boys that when you put your faith in Christ, when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who gave you the free gift of salvation because he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again, and you put your faith in him, you are on the field of faith. And you have to set your eyes on Christ, and you have to exercise your faith. And your faith is in the greatest coach of all time, We'll be telling these boys that God is the greatest coach you will ever have. He has already ran the race, and he is already waiting in heaven for us, so he's already done it. He knows how to win the game, and we'll tell them how you have to exercise your faith. You can't just have your faith in something that will fail you. It has to be in something that can give you hope and freedom every single day. God is perfect. He lived that perfect life, and so we put our faith in him. Today we're going to be talking about faith, so I kind of set it up for that, and we're going to be going through several different uh, scriptures, but we're going to get started today in Hebrews chapter 12, Uh, but before we do, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you for this time this morning, Lord. I thank you for those that are here in this room and for those watching online, Lord. I thank you that we get the opportunity to hear from you, and I pray that our ears will be open, Lord. I pray that your word will be spoken and we'll hear your truths today, God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump right in here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, about nine years ago, 
I ran my first half marathon. My wife, Courtney, ran the marathon that day too. And leading up to the marathon, you know, you're going to run either a marathon or a half marathon in this race. And so you're training for that specific pace. And when you're training, you're most likely, if you're doing it by yourself, following an app so that you can stay on pace. But maybe you're training with a group so that you can learn the pace that you're going to run when you get to the race. And then when you get to the race, you know, they have those people with like those little cards on sticks that they put up in the air. And so you know that, all right, today I am running a half marathon on this course. I'm going to stick with this group. I'm going to run this pace and I'm going to make it to the finish line. And so that's what you're focused on for that day. And your group that you're running with, they help you stay on pace along the way. But also you have these people that are on the sidelines that maybe you know, maybe it's your family and they're holding up encouraging signs saying, you can do this, you've got this. You know, and you're hoping uh, that you can do this and that you got this, but that extra encouragement is what can help you along the way. And so when it's talking about those that have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, what it's specifically talking about here in the scriptures is in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's talking about Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Rahab and the, the people that traveled through the wilderness, the Israelites and those that helped walk around or those that walked around Jericho when the walls fell. And that all these people, they all went before us. And they went through such things, um, you know, they had faith through Jesus, and they were able to conquer kingdoms. God was able to conquer kingdoms. They administered justice, they, and, it was, and they gained what was promised to them. The mouths of lions were shut, and also through their faith, the flaming arrows were quenched. And it's because of God's power that they were able to rout these armies. And so that's what it's talking about. It's talking about those that have gone before, that have already stood the test of time in their life, lived by faith. God was faithful to them, and they were faithful to God. And so we can look at those that have gone before us. We can look at other Christ followers that have walked maybe a little bit longer than we have in their faith, and we can look to them for encouragement, and we can also see that it's a long race and that we need people to encourage us along the way. And so they're like our cheerleaders, right? They encourage us to run the race well. All right. I don't know if all of you were like me, but during the pandemic, I got a little bored. Um, At the beginning of the pandy, you know, a couple shows came out like Tiger King. I mean, not that I watched it or anything. Uh, You also had like the Queen's Gambit. And I really got into that show because I didn't know how to play chess before watching the Queen's Gambit. In fact, if you had given me a chess board, I'd have been like, cool, those things look like horses and other things. I don't know. That's pretty cool. But I learned how to play. And how I learned how to play is I got, you know, into it by watching the show. I figured, hey, I should try this. So I downloaded an app on my phone. And uh, basically, it gives you like these different tests that you can go through to learn the rules. And then you start playing against, you know, an easy bot and then like an intermediate. And then I pretty much stopped there because I can't get past that at all. In fact, I've never actually played someone in real life in chess. <laughs> Pretty funny. I could beat some computers, man. I think I played like once online against somebody and they beat me. And I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I like to win. And so... <laughs> Anyways, that was a lot of fun. But the other thing that I learned how to do during the pandemic was to solve the Rubik's Cube. And the Rubik's Cube was invented in 1974, and this is the three-by-three, six-sided Rubik's Cube. And it actually took the first person a couple weeks to figure out how to solve the cube. But over time, people have been able to solve the cube and solve it well. In fact, the fastest person to ever solve the Rubik's Cube has done it in 3.47 seconds which is incredible. And when I picked up the Rubik's Cube, I did not expect 
to like break any world records or anything like that. I just wanted to learn how to solve it. My daughter had gotten one for Christmas. I picked it up, started twisting it around. I'm like, yeah, maybe if I just twist it this way, you know, by happenstance, maybe I can figure it out. But then I learned pretty quickly that that's not how it works. Like, unfortunately, I, I thought I was done with school, but when I wanted to learn how to solve the Rubik's Cube, I did what everybody does. What do you do when you don't know how to do something? You go where? You go to YouTube, exactly. So I went to YouTube. And I started to search videos, and as I'm typing, I'm typing, all right, how to solve a Rubik's Cube? And I'm like, should I also be searching how to put on deodorant? Because obviously I'm 12 years old and trying to figure out how to solve a Rubik's Cube at 35 years old. But I wanted a challenge, and so I did it. And uh, I see all these videos about algorithms and about uh, cube theory, and I'm going, oh my gosh, I just want to solve this little child's toy. I don't want to know about cube theory and all that stuff. But I finally found a really good video that broke it down in some really easy steps on how to solve the cube. So at first, I didn't know how to do it, right? And if you had asked me, if you had just given me this cube and I had tried to like figure out my own algor algorithms and things like that, there'd be no way I'd be able to do it. But thank goodness, some more nerdy people before me were able to come up with these ways to do it. They put it down and they give you these directions. Super simple, watch the video, figure it out. And it took me about two weeks of having the directions in front of me and showing me the different ways to twist it in this way and that. And I was able to figure it out on my own. And then after that, I would be able to figure it out pretty much just about any time. And I started timing myself. And not going to brag, but I think my best time's a minute and 30 seconds, which is pretty cool, pretty cool. But I, again, my whole point was I just wanted to be able to solve it. In fact, I told my wife I was going to bring it up here today and, and solve it on stage. And she said, well, aren't you afraid you're going to mess up? And I go, no, babe. I know the algorithms. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, right? Those that have gone before us, that have stood the test of time, that have done the things that this book tells us to do, that God tells us to do, we can live by faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the race. Man, come on, Paul. Dude, that just like pumps me up, especially thinking about going to Warrior Week soon. Like we put on face paint, we, pay, we play capture the flag and war ball, which is dodgeball. And we like get excited about that stuff. And that's what Paul's saying here is that, look, I've been going around and I've been telling others about Jesus and I've been making sure that they know uh, who Jesus is and that they have the opportunity, the same opportunity he did to have a relationship with Christ. But I, he's saying, I have to be careful. I want to make sure that I'm not disqualified because I'm telling you, we need to be running this race to get the ultimate prize, which is in heaven. Jesus is the prize and it's already waiting for us in heaven. You know, it says there in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus has already ran the race and I want to make sure, and Paul's saying, I want to make sure that I'm running the race and not disqualified myself, that I'm keeping my eyes focused on Christ. Run to get the prize, run to win, run to Jesus. 
So I told you guys about the half marathon that I ran, and it was, a, it was a cool race. So it was in December, it was the Dallas Marathon, I think it was like 2011, and Courtney and I both ran it. And when you go to run one of the marathons when it's cold outside, uh, you go to the starting line, usually with like some thicker, like heavier winter clothes on, maybe a jacket or something like that, but you don't plan on running the race with that jacket on. So you wear it there, and you're at the starting line, and when about five minutes before your corral is supposed to start running, you know, you take those sweatshirts, sweatpants, anything you got on, and you just kind of cast them to the side, and you leave them there, and you start the race. And so we did that that day. And so I was lighter, I was able to run a little bit faster. At least that was the plan. Unfortunately, it had been raining all night, and it was continuing to rain during the race. So not only was it about 38 degrees outside, it was also pouring down rain. And I'm going, great. I did not train in the rain. <laughs> like, I don't know how to run in the rain. Is this going to work? But You've got the race in front of you, you gotta go do it. So we stripped off those clothes to be lighter for the race, and now about five minutes in, I've got each shoe weighing about five pounds, I'm soaking wet, and I'm going, really, this is the race that I've gotta run today? All right, whatever. And so we continue to run, we get to the end, and I remember finishing, and I, I was about where my pace was been, and I ran my personal best for a half marathon, because it was my first half marathon. So I ran it in an hour and 56 minutes, which was really good. That's what I wanted to do. But I kept thinking, and I just had it in the back of my mind, well, great, I just trained for six months, and I ran in the rain with all that extra weight on me. Could I have run the race better if I didn't have all that extra water weight that I was carrying because of all the rain? And that's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, we have to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And Joey kind of spoke to this last week when the devil's talking to us and we kind of go back to those old sins and we grab that passy and we put it in our mouths and we go, yeah, this feels good. Okay, I'm going to stay here a little bit longer. And that's what we do when we're staying with these things that are hindering us and these sins, these little parasitic sins that are like clinging to us. And God's telling us if we're going to run the race towards him, towards being more Christ-like, we have to throw off everything that's keeping us from running the race because the only way we can run the race well is if we're running it just for Christ. As we have to take that sin and we have to cast it off behind us. We throw it behind us. We don't throw it in front of us and go, well, I'll pick it up later. We throw it behind us and we don't go back. We're running a race and we're going forward and we don't go back and go pick up that little parasitic sin and kind of like attach it back to us and go, it's okay, baby. I love you. You're so sweet. No, that's not what we do. We throw it off and we run the race well by running light. Lighter means faster. And in Luke 5, verse 27, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So maybe in your life today, God's not saying, all right, tomorrow get to work, and I'm just going to, out of the blue, say, hey, Get up from your desk and come on. And so you're not just going to maybe just leave your job tomorrow, but maybe you are. And maybe there's other things that are even more important than that that you might leave. Maybe there's a relationship that either needs to be mended or that for a while it needs a season where you, where you move away so that you can grow closer to God so that you can go back to that relationship and things will be better because God puts you in the right place, in the right state of mind, in his state of mind. And so... It's important that we leave behind the things 
that are hindering us and move forward with our eyes focused on Christ. All right, I'm going to go back uh, to the marathon again. So when a couple years after the marathon, we half marathon, I decided maybe I'd want to run this again. And so I uh, started training again. This time I probably procrastinated a little too much, and I didn't really train much. I had some pain in my back and stuff like that. But we decided we were going to go do this race that Megan Williams, Joey's wife, Joey's father-in-law, and uh, Megan's sister, Michaela, they were going to do a race in uh, Las Vegas on the Las Vegas Strip. That's going to be pretty cool. Hopefully it won't rain this time because we're going to be in the desert, right? And so we get to go do this race, and we're run I'm running light, but at the same time, I still kind of got like these aches and pains that are bothering me, and Courtney and I are running together. And eventually at some point, she was like, no, no, just, just go and have fun and do it yourself and uh, finished the race, and so I ran about the last five miles all by myself, and I remember just running down that strip, and this time I'm not running with all this weight on me. I'm running in this arid desert, and people are on the sidelines there, like running by all these different casinos, and they're cheering you on, and I just remember weaving in and out of people, like, man, I got this. This feels nice not to have be running this long race, um, you know, with all this extra weight on like I had in the first one. So even though I had some of those like aches and pains and stuff like that, I was still able to just enjoy the process and run the race that was set before me. And what, and in Hebrews 12, when we go back, it says that we need to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then it goes on, in Hebrews 12, we'll skip to chapter, or sorry, to verse 4, and it says this, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate children at all. Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so we know that it's telling us that this is a long race, that we have to run with perseverance and endurance, that we, we are going to endure some hardships. And so when you're training for a race, when you're training for anything, it's most likely going to be painful. If not, you're probably, probably not training hard enough. I'm not saying you need to like pull a muscle or something like that, but you should be training. And I think what God's saying to us here, though, is that if you're, not having, if you're not being challenged by God, are you running the right race? Are your eyes focused on Him? Are you throwing away those parasitic sins and focusing on Him? And if you're not being trained by God, if you're not being challenged, are you running the right race? So we have to make sure, like Joey said last week, we have to start somewhere. If you haven't been reading your Bible, you need to start. And Joey laid out a few points of how we do that. Maybe download the Bible app and just start doing a daily devotional. Maybe you just start with a, the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Just ask, thanking God for today and ask Him to give you your daily bread. 
But we have to start somewhere. We have to make sure that we're running the right race because we, as Christ followers, need to be challenged by God. To grow in our faith, we have to be challenged. We need to know that we're, life is not going to go the way that we expect. When I picked up this cube and started looking at all the different ways, I'm like, well, maybe if I just like peel the stickers off and move them around, which one of my daughters started to do and I got really mad at her. I probably shouldn't have gotten so mad. <laughs> it's like, I need that for church. And... Uh, you know, maybe I could do that. But it was a little painful learning the algorithms and learning, you know, how do you twist this thing and, and make it do what you want it to do. And the truth is, you really can't just make it do what you want it to do. You have to follow the patterns and you have to follow the way that it's been set up to work. And maybe there's some other patterns that I just don't know, but that's how it is here in the Bible. There's some things that I don't know, but there's some things that I do know. And I know that Christ loved me, loves me and that he died on the cross for me and that he lived a perfect life. And when I follow him, and I'm running his race, the one he's marked out for me, that he can strengthen me. And by his strength alone, I can run the race. In Colossians 1, verse 11. I'm flipping all these pages. It's like catch on fire over here. Um, It says this, Colossians 1, 11 being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And I think one thing to miss there is the patience part. When we're training for something that's hard, it is hard to to have that patience to maybe train one more day, or one more day, or one more day, but that's what we have to do. Every single day, we have to train, and we're training until the very end here on earth, because the prize isn't here on earth. The prize isn't any worldly thing. It is a heavenly thing, and it's waiting for us. And God's already ran the perfect race. He's already made it there, and he's sitting there holding the crown saying, I'm here. Run the race and come see me someday. (laughs) Some of you are like, maybe sooner than later? Okay, because the world is crazy. But that's what it's all about is when we're running the race with our eyes on Jesus and we're looking upwards and not backwards, then we know we're running the race well. We don't want any of that weight that we've already casted off to be holding us back. We want to run toward heaven. Christ is there. Oh gosh, going flipping it all over the place. God is there waiting for us, and He is the prize. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In 2016, we had our third daughter, and her name is Evelyn Rose Collins, and she is a beautiful blue-eyed girl. And before that, we had two daughters. We have Lila and Violet Collins, and they are all such sweet girls. And my wife asked me after we had our third daughter, she said, you know, do you want to try to have another one? And I was like, okay, I guess we could. Um, but I mean, I'm a little nervous. I don't think I really, really want to do that because the reason being is that in 2015, when we were trying to get pregnant with our third trial, child, uh, Courtney got pregnant. And I remember her sending me the a picture of the, actually the, the first sonogram because I wasn't able to be there because of work. And we were excited about that. But about two months later, Courtney had a miscarriage, and she had to have a DNC, which basically means the baby was no longer alive, and so they had to get the baby out via surgery. And that was a pretty traumatic event. 
And so we did try to start having a child pretty quickly after that, and we did. We got pregnant with Evelyn pretty quick. Uh, but when we started trying for our fourth child, uh, it took a while. We, we didn't get pregnant as quickly, and, you know, it seemed a little daunting, and Courtney was uh, pretty scared about the process. And then we did get pregnant, and we're now pregnant with would be our fifth child. And uh, fast forward to 2018, in December of 2018, and Lucas Paul Collins was born. If you don't know Lucas, he is an incredible little boy, and I'm going to tell you a lot more about him this morning, so you get to know him a little bit better. The cool story about Lucas is that when he was born, you know, it, it was interesting. I remember the doctors pulling him out because it was via C-section, and he was smaller than, than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting him to be so small, and Courtney didn't get to see it because it was a C-section, and she was behind uh, the curtain, so she didn't get to see. And I remember this overwhelming feeling of, you know, something's wrong, because Courtney had thought something was wrong throughout the pregnancy, but, you know, this is her body. This isn't my pregnancy. It was her pregnancy, and so I didn't really feel the same kind of pressure uh, that she was feeling. And so now this baby's here. He's a little bit small, and I'm worried. I'm like, well, there's something wrong. And if that had just been the, the worst of, of our worries, you know, maybe that would have been good. Because come to find out, six months later, Lucas would have his first seizure, and he had his first seizure when we weren't even in the room. And by the way, I know the algorithms, but I messed up earlier, so I'm going to keep rocking and rolling. <laughs> We're having fun here. And Lucas was in a room in our bedroom all by himself, and he wasn't breathing. And I was like, well, that's weird, because, you know, your, chi- your children are supposed to be breathing, but Lucas wasn't breathing. And so I picked him up, I handed him to Courtney, and I was like, well, what, do you, what do we do? What do we do here? And I didn't know what to do. I was, I was very scared, and I grabbed the car seat, and I quickly took him and put him in the car with my oldest daughter, and we started driving to the hospital. And we got to the hospital, and we got him inside, and after running some tests and things like that, they come back and they tell us, well, you know, he doesn't have anything. We tested him for this, and we tested him for that, and he's fine. He just has a high fever. This is just called a febrile seizure. And if you've ever been to the emergency room or anything like that, they do this insulting thing, which, you know, they're only doing their best, but they give you a a piece of paper that prints out and tells you, hey, this is what's wrong, this is what you can do, Uh, try to figure it out on your own and have a good day. And that's pretty much how it was that day. And we went home with this paperwork that said that Lucas was having a febrile seizure. And so we go home and fast forward a couple months, he starts having some more more seizures. And we call 911, the ambulances come, oh, it's just a febrile seizure again. Okay. And then again, he has another one, and this time I take him to the hospital because I'm not so sure about things. And again, the sweet nurse there sits down with me and says, oh, honey, it's just a febrile seizure. He's going to grow out of these. Well, then, now we're in December of 2019. So Lucas is a year old, and it's a couple days before Christmas. We're trying to get ready for the holidays, and Lucas starts having what are called cluster seizures. And at this time, we had been seeing a neurologist uh, for his seizures, and they were trying to give us some information about him you know, to try to tell us what might be wrong with our son. But, you know, nobody had given us any, like, real concrete, clear answers. And so it was getting a little uh, frustrating at this point. And so we finally go to that hospital visit, and we get a few answers. They draw some blood. They do some tests. We had already had some genetic testing done, but nothing real concrete. And then uh, we go home, like, the day before Christmas. And then three days later, I'm supposed to go on a pheasant hunting trip in Kansas, so I'm going to be gone for like 
three or four days hunting, and the night before that I'm supposed to leave, Lucas actually starts having cluster seizures, and I leave anyways, against my better judgment, and I'm on my way, I'm about just before Oklahoma City, and Courtney's like, I don't know what to do. He won't stop having seizures. I'm like, well, you have to take him to the hospital. And so Courtney does. Courtney took him to the hospital, and one of our friends came over and watched Lucas, or sorry, watched our three girls while Lucas went to the hospital. Well, I got out of the car that I was in, rented a car at Enterprise, I drove back to Dallas, and I made it to the hospital, and Lucas was still there in the waiting room when I got there. I made, like, record time. I didn't speed. And when I, when I got there, I, I mean, on my way back, I remember praying and accepting the fact that my son might die, like, that day, or just the fact that he's going to die at some point and that we're all going to die. And when you have those moments about your kids, it can be very sobering. And I remember accepting that on the way back and praying to God and saying, it's okay. It's okay if this is the last day that I see my son, because you made him and you love him, and you gave us the opportunity to know him so far, and so we're going to trust your plan. But I got there, and one of our friends from church was there, and, and Courtney was in there, and I remember uh, just hugging them and being excited that Lucas was okay. But what was good is, is that while we were there, these doctors finally got to see, see a seizure in action. Like, they got to see the actual seizure. And that was great, because nobody was listening to us we had been doing all of our own research, but nobody else really knew, right? It's called practicing medicine. It's not we know the exact thing that's going on with your kid. And so we, we're there for a few more days, and Lucas has an EEG, which is a scan of his brain, and they come to find out that he has what are called focal to bilateral tonic-clonic seizures, which means they start on the left side of his brain, and then after he starts seizing, it goes to the rest of his brain, his body locks up, his muscles tighten, and all the oxygen goes to his major organs, and he turns blue because... He's not breathing, but at the same time, every, all the color leaves his face and his skin because it's going to protect the major organs because he stops breathing for a minute to two minutes at a time uh, during these seizures, and it's the hardest, worst time of your life to sit there and watch your child look lifeless. But every time he's come back from it, every single time that Lucas has had a seizure, praise God, he has come back. And it's not because of anything I've done or anything that Courtney's done. You know, we've learned throughout this that... You know, medications are great, and Lucas has been on three or four medications. Two of them uh, have failed, and right now we just have him on one, and we're trusting that that medication is good. But we've had to do a lot of our own research, and we've had to kind of become like these experts in what he has. And in January of 2020, you know, 2020 was supposed to be a really bad year for people, right? Not at the beginning, but it was for us. <laughs> so we were already kind of beaten down by it. But we got a diagnosis in January of 2020 that Lucas has what's called HNR. NPU, which basically means he has a, in your HNR NPU gene, it's supposed to be a certain length, his is not the correct length, plus he has a gene mutation. And so what comes along with that, again, which we were handed a piece of paper at our appointment and said, I'm sorry that he has what he has, which again, the doctor's just doing her best, or his best, and we appreciate the doctor. But now we're having to become these experts in, okay, well, what is wrong with our son, and what can we do to make sure that he lives his best life? And so we go and start doing some research. Well, kids like Lucas, they have what's called hypotonia, which if, if you've seen Lucas, he's two and a half years old, and he can only crawl, but man, can he crawl fast. And at first, Lucas, like most kids at certain ages, couldn't crawl. But we let Lucas be on his own schedule. He was in some therapy, and the lady was trying to help Lucas be more like kids his age, and we're like, well, hold on. He's Lucas. He's not other kids. And I get it. You're just trying to help and pull him along but let's see what he does. Let's see what he does. And that's been the theme for Lucas, 
is let's see what he does. Let's see what he can do, what God can do to, to surprise us, to do something that only God can do. We have to trust in his perfect plan. And see, God's plan is so perfect because I messed up again. So it is what it is on the algorithm side, right? All right, cool, we're back. All right. God's perfect plan for my son. Well, what is that? Well, Lucas, like I said, he's running his own race. We're not comparing him to other kids. I'm not comparing him to my daughters. I'm not comparing him to other two-year-olds. Even though I want to, and it's really hard not to, I can't. I can't compare him to something that he is not. Lucas is going to run his own race no matter what. And so, just like with the Rubik's Cube, and just like in your life, we think we have some sort of control. We think that, and even today I've messed up in front of you, but thank goodness I've been able to get it back. And I'm to the final step, so if I mess up now, something's really wrong. But that's just it. It's so out of our control. I tell you that story about Lucas to encourage you that you can hear him screaming back there. That kid's the happiest kid that I know. I don't know if y'all heard him screaming when, when y'all were singing up here. The kid just sits there and dances, and he does not even care who's watching. And that is such an encouragement to me of someone who's, and a lot of times in my life, compared myself to other people. I, he doesn't do it at all. He just lives his life, and he lives it like he knows it to live it today. And so that's what we have to do as Christ followers. We don't have to be worried about putting every single piece in place, worried about the 43 quintillion different things, which are how many different variations a cube can have before you start to solve it. We don't have to worry about all those different things. We have to know where do we start. When, God, when I wake up in the morning, where do I start? In Lamentations 3, verse 22, it says this. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. I say to myself, or sorry, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every single morning, you should be thankful that you don't have it figured out. I know that sounds weird, but there are so many different things that are out of your control. You should be thankful that you have a God that can put those things back in line, that you don't have to worry about every little thing in your life that you can't control and that's going to go wrong, every relationship, every person that might fail you. God is the only one that will never fail you. And if you wake up every single day and know that his mercies are renewed, then you'll be able to see that he has a perfect plan for your life and that if you put your faith and trust in him and you leave behind anything that hinders you, you run the race, you train, you gain endurance through his strength and his strength alone, you know that you can run the race well and live eternity in heaven with him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. God, we thank you that your mercies are new every single morning, Lord. That it doesn't matter what, we, what we've done, God. That you are good no matter what. That you'll see us through, God. That you'll put the pieces where they need to be, God. I pray that we trust you to do that, Lord. I pray that we leave those sins behind us that are uh, keeping us from moving forward, Lord. That we can grow in our relationship with you. That we can have a relationship with you, God. That we can know you and know you well, Lord. Lord God, you are good and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.